Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. I'm going to wait for a couple of thumbs up from our classmates and see if the people roll onto the podcast with us. Um, just okay. make sure we're live, but uh, I'm sure I think we're pretty much good to go. And um, so, uh, so we'll just chit chat here for a little bit. So your weekend was, was it going, you, you had to go outside with a raincoat on or something to like talk to people? Like, Well, yeah, it's Oregon, right? So, you know, and with COVID, you can't have them inside. So everybody's just used to being outside in the rain. Anyway, we call it liquid sunshine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you want to talk to somebody face to face, you're usually on a walk. And uh, I learned that it's not really a raincoat, you call it a rain system. <laughs> um, so you have a, you know, the whole hood and everything and everybody's just used to it. I've seen people talking at, on a street corner in a total downpour. Really? It's just like the normal, like, yeah. like just like driving rain. That's like typical yeah. Oregon weather. Huh? Yeah. And there's these two moms, you know, and you see them, you know, going like this and talking, it's hilarious. And I was like, right on, why not? Right. <laughs> they go home, shake out the coat, do what they got to do. So. Uh, it's kind of funny. Everybody's awesome. just okay with it. I um, I needed to go outside this weekend. You know, it's freezing cold and it's snowing right now. So I, oh. I'm in a difficult. I, I'm in a different place than I normally am. Um, I'm in my home, my home office. So I may not talk as loud here. And um, <laughs> so I had to go. I had to get out because I've just been so cooped up this weekend. I went for a hike this weekend. That's when I recorded this quick little video. Oh yeah, I saw that. You're getting ready yeah. to meet up with Scotty. Yeah. That's the plan. That's the plan. So I love it. So um, by the way, we got a lot of people who have rolled onto the podcast. So great. Welcome to the Old Grad Podcast. I hope everybody is having a uh, a good uh, end of January. Uh, our 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 guest this this week is uh, Beach Pace from Company E1. So welcome, Beach. And Beach was just mentioning that she's uh, uh, coming to us from Oregon. Where it, where it rains quite often. And uh, I was just saying how I was outside this weekend, went for a quick hike with my dog. And it was, I needed that outside kind of solitude to just kind of get my thoughts together and whatnot. But, um, and it, we're also beginning to plan for this really big event because Scotty Halstead, Colonel Scott Halstead, who just retired from the army this week, congratulations, Scott. And congrats, to- Scott. He is going to be leaving, uh, taking off on the uh, Appalachian Trail in a couple of weeks and going from Georgia to Maine. And so I'm hoping that on June 1st, we'll be able to hook up with him on his uh, journey and be able, to, uh, and be able to, to spend the day with him. That'll be 30 years to the day, to the minute uh, that we've all graduated. So um, that's what I'm looking to do. Right on. Another thing from this week, I mean, tragically, I want to also highlight the fact that uh, this, th- this is a week where we unfortunately lost one of our classmates, uh, Keith Mellinson, Company C1. Uh, we uh, celebrated his life and uh, tragically he died in, in a car accident um, on January 21st. And so our thoughts and, and um, Prayers go to his family, to his wife and his three kids, um, Aiden, Luke, and Caitlin. Um, he basically embodied our class motto of duty shall be done. And he lived up to West Point values. He 
he served in the military, uh, he served in the army, and then he went transitioned right into the FBI and had a 26-year uh, career or 25-year career as a, as a FBI agent, worked in counterterrorism, worked in um, uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of areas. And so he definitely um, lived and served our country well, and we, he, will be, he will be deeply missed. So, um, so Beach, you know, I'm so psyched to have you. You have been mentioned to me as a, as a guest by multiple, multiple people. And when I saw the announcement, I noticed that a number of your teammates from the soccer team all chimed in like, yes, yes, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. So that's very nice of them. Yeah. I think, I think everybody is, uh, everybody's excited to, to have you, have you here. And uh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. You have the appropriate background because you describe yourself as a gray hawk, the ultimate gray hawk, huh? Well, it, the ultimate is the one that's uh, still in, right? But um, yeah, I, I just, I loved it there. And I, I was so proud to be able to go. And, you know, I, I always wanted to do something with a higher calling. When I was in high school, I was made fun of a lot. Um, I was in junior ROTC. And when I found out about the academies and then I visited West Point, I just was like, this is it. This is where I want to be. So, um, you know, when we're all there, we have something that we have struggle with and then something that we do well at. And my struggle was academics, but I loved everything else. And in fact, I love the academics. I just wish I was sharper at them. Um, later on, I went on to get a master's and I was like, man, this is a lot easier. <laughs> And I don't know if it was mindset or life experience or what, but um, yeah. So something I, I about was, something about just having to only worry about school and not the, all the other stuff in your in your life, you know? Right, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I loved being there, and I was proud to be there. And I just listened to Vince's um, uh, interview, and I was proud to be in First Reg. I really was. I loved E1 to uh, go Vikings. E1, damn it, and um, yeah. Um, and I love the little Grant Barracks that we had. I love that little alcove that we had there too. So, um, yeah, I, I look back on it fondly. And I was right next to you. Part. I was in <laughs> yes. company F1. That's it's right. I saw you all the time. Yeah. We shared, we shared a lot of, uh, a lot of the same stories, the same stories of, you know, that crazy day that uh, Terry Rice jumped off the uh, clock tower and yeah. ripped off his part of his finger his finger yeah i remember that yeah that and he was great. such a trooper man he was just like okay go to the hospital <laughs> yeah. um it was yeah i remember that day and terry rice by the way who has been you know basically working from home he has been rocking and road marching five to 15 miles a day for the last year so he is ready for this he's ready for this trek with uh with scott halstead this summer that's awesome yeah yeah good job terry <laughs> yeah so. that's great and E1, you know, I, I was always um, in such admiration of E1 because it seemed to be such a cohesive team and very had strong military bearing. You didn't have the most highest academic achievements, but you basically yeah. achieved everything else, right? You were like, yeah. you're great at athletics, great at, at military. Mm -hmm. um, so what was that like in company E1? I, I ate it up. I loved it. Um, you know, we had a strong Sandhurst team and then people supporting Sandhurst. We, you know, we were good at athletically, um, you know, and academics was, was a bit of a struggle, but <laughs> so I was in the right company, but um, I just, I loved 
being in that environment, I, I think I would have struggled if I was in a company that, you know, was less strack. I, I think I would have been like, why am I here? Um, but it was a good fit for me and um, got along pretty well with, with everybody, you know, and not just in my class, but, you know, up and down. And now the, the brand new secretary of defense was your, was your tack officer. Yeah, he was for a bit. First two years. Yeah. Major Austin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I remember looking at him and it was always like this because he was so tall. Um, He's, you know, always scared me, but it's because he was a tack and I was just a plebe. Right. But um, yeah, he's a good guy, stand up guy. So. But I, I found him to be also fairly intimidating, but also had a good sense of humor. And there's uh, my one very memorable story, which I may have told on this podcast once before, was our classmate, Brian Sharp, who's one of my dearest friends. Um, he, he refused to get new gym alpha shorts. Like he, he, he basically, you know, put on the, like lost a bunch of weight and beast and put the weight back on, you know, just getting back to being normal, normal weight or whatever. Mm. He had these gym alpha shorts that were obscenely tight. It, it was, if, if they were orange, he could have worked at Hooters. I mean, that's what they were like. <laughs> he was so cheap. He said, I'm not going to buy new shorts. I don't care. Like I got no one to impress in this place. I'm wearing these damn things. I'll stretch them out, whatever. And he goes pinging out in central area. And <laughs> Major Austin stopped and dead in his tracks and like said, turn around. And he, he looks at him and goes, what? is wrong with you <laughs> what's wrong with you and then so that was that was my story of, of major austin back in the <laughs> i day. can totally see him doing that too yeah, what, yeah what are you doing what are you thinking yeah what is wrong with you yeah so that was uh that was a pretty funny pretty funny experience but now he's secretary of defense that's I know, uh, it's crazy first so crazy. first first african-american secretary of defense which About is surprising time. that he's only the first but um, I know. I, it, long overdue. Uh, yeah. And I'm so glad it's him. So it is interesting, though, this debate about civilian control of the military and these former generals taking on that role like Mattis. Like, like Mattis got a pass because he was, um, you know, I think people thought, like, hey, we just need somebody there that understand what's going on. Mm. Um, and, you know, I read an article talking about how there's been like really not a lot of civilian leadership over the military for like the last, you know, almost like seven or eight years, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, as, as such, like the military, the, the, the joint chiefs of staff have become, you know, more and more of this kind of like powerful uh, influencer in terms of the direction. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how he does. I, I hope he does well. I'm sure he'll do well. I hope uh, he does well but, too. I'm sure he will. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. quite, uh, it'd be quite interesting too, because here you've got two of your former I mean, multi, I mean, not, not just two, many of his former cadets mm-hmm. and former commanders and former soldiers that are still in the military, obviously, still in the Army. I mean, D.A. Sims, who is yep. a commander of the 1st uh, Infantry Division, and Joe Ryan, who is also a general officer, and then a number of colonels and other people that have, you know, basically mm-hmm. served under him. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, he certainly has a, a good group under him. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he'll do great. Yeah. So Beach, give me the here and now. Like, what's the story? Where are you living? What's your job? Yeah. So family, whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a couple things. But uh, so I live in Hillsboro, Oregon, which is about 
20, 20 minutes west of Portland, Oregon, and uh, been up here for about eight years. And I'm leading the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Portland, Oregon chapter, or uh, the way we call it is the affiliate. So there's 230 affiliates across the country, and I'm leading the, that affiliate. We have about 500 kids in our care, and each of those kids have a dedicated uh, and trained one-to-one you know, one dedicated mentor. Uh, and I have a staff that oversees all of that. And, um, you know, just, and especially now in COVID doing that work of making sure those kids are taken care of. So there's, that's one thing. And then in uh, 2019, I was elected to the Hillsborough city council. I ran for office. Um, it was an opposed race. So I got 67% of the vote and proud of that race and um, been serving on council uh, since January of 2019. So uh, just completed two years. <laughs> so you continue, continue to serve our, our, our country and our community. So hats off to you for, for doing that. That's, that's thank fantastic. You. Yeah, um, thanks. I, I enjoy the work in the social change sector. Uh, and I don't like to call it nonprofit because that's, it says what we don't do. And I like to talk about what we do. Mm -hmm. So calling it the social change sector, the social impact sector means a lot more to me because you don't see Nike saying like, hey, we don't make sushi. Um, they talk about what they do. And I, I, I want to do the same thing for our sector is, you know, what we do is social change and social impact. I don't want to talk about what we don't do. Mm -hmm. That makes, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So the um, 500, you have 500 mentors and 500 kids. It's a one-to-one -one basis. Are those mentors, are they volunteers? The, the mentors? All volunteer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an all volunteer basis because, you know, when you pay somebody to be a mentor, that's, you know, it changes the dynamic a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so all of them are volunteers and it, it's really inspiring, frankly, to see these folks come in the door and, and want to make a difference. And we don't take everybody, you know, not everybody is a good fit for it. Um, uh, and then, you know, when we do that, we do background checks, um, reference checks, all that, and investigate all that, and then train them up and make sure that they're ready to go uh, to be good mentors to these kids, especially now. I mean, <laughs> It's, you know, when you're talking about safety and youth safety, you know, COVID or no COVID, it's safety is number one. So what's the, what's the typical timeline that somebody's the mentor to the specific person for, and like, what's the age groups and how does, how does that whole thing, how do you, how do you match? Yeah. So I have a million questions. Yeah. Those are, that's a lot of questions. So I'll do my best. Uh, so we uh, work with kids anywhere from age uh, five and up to 18. Uh, some Big Brothers, Big Sisters affiliates will work with you after 18. So it depends on the affiliate. Um, but right now we're working six to 18. The mentors have to be 18 and over. Our best, most consistent mentors are 40 and over. Um, but we have mentors from all walks of life and all different ages. And when I say our best mentors, those are the ones who, whose life is settled a little bit and they could, they could be more consistent. When we're talking about the ask of the volunteer or the mentor, we ask for one year. Um, but I'm proud to say that the average match length, you know, when we have a match, we have a kid and a mentor put together and that's a match. Our average match length at, at this affiliate is 4.25 years. So there's a little bit of science and art that goes into it. Um, you know, the science of, you know, where are you located? What are you into? What kind of, you know, what age group do you want to work with? You know, as far as the mentor goes, but then also demeanor, <laughs> um, interests, likes, dislikes, etc. And so I have a wonderful staff that puts those matches together after interviewing the kid and their, mentor, uh, and their parent or guardian. 
and then the volunteers and there's groups of them, you know, a large amount of them and then finding the right match for that particular kid and that particular mentor and also the, the parent. It matters uh, so that they all the fit. How, um, how, what's your staff made up of? Like, how, how do you have like, like senior mentors or trainers? Or like how, how, how do you manage the, the team? Yeah, we call them match success specialists. Uh, and those match success specialists, you know, have a caseload essentially. Um, so they handle anywhere from 80 to 90 cases. And then I have a program director over there, over that, you know, that group. And then we, of course we have development, right? Because in the social change sector, you have to fundraise. Uh, in the military, it's like, go do this thing and here's your stuff, right? And this, and this is, oh, we need to do this thing based on community feedback. And so if we're going to do this thing, we need to partner with this group and this group and this group, and then we need to get the money. And then once you get the money, then we can go do it. And sometimes that's all at once. <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's, it, it's that linear progression, as I explained. But um, it, it's interesting to see how different groups can come together to make something happen. How much of your funding is like straight up donations versus like uh, strategic partnerships or like getting money from like XYZ foundation? Yeah, I, I would say it's, I, I am very into making sure that our funding is diversified. Uh, the first social change organization I was with is called City Year. I was with that group down in uh, San Jose, California. And I've been in, in the social change sector for now about 14 years, thanks to Becky Canis Margiota. Um, she gave me some major shit, uh, in a conversation that we had, and it was, it was a good conversation. Um, and, and so from that experience with city year, I took that over in 07 and then we hit the recession in 08. And I realized that what I inherited that the funding streams that I had had inherited were not diversified enough. So it's like 25%, 25, you know, foundations, corporate foundations, private foundations, don't, you know, just individual donors, events, et cetera. So we try to make sure we spread it out. So if any one pillar falls down, we don't get shut down. So. I should also mention, you know, Becky, Becky helped me uh, find my way into the, into the nonprofit social chain space uh, as well, which I've been doing this now for six and a half years. And you see this little, this little rooster behind me, that little yeah. rooster, yeah. that's her. That's, that's actually a message from her. This is, this is a rooster that we had in our office in New York that I, I, I recently um, closed our office in New York because we didn't need it with COVID and we'll eventually get back to it. But Becky's whole thing is he said, I need somebody to be a chicken fucker. I need somebody to basically <laughs> just like fuck the chicken, like get this thing done. And so we'd have these roosters all over the place. And so, um, so we still, we still remember Becky uh, who has yeah. moved on to her own, Oh my gosh. Yeah. The billions She's doing amazing yeah. like training people in the social change sector. Yeah. Um, and she was in the sector when I was still in for-profit, I was in pharmaceutical sales and, you know, I was doing my thing and making money. And, and I, I, you know, we had lunch in San Jose and um, she was talking about homeless and, and that work. And I remember, you know, asking her about it. And she was asking me about my work. And I said, you know, I really like the money, but I don't like the leaders. And, and there's no mission-based focus. It's about profit margin, right? Money. And I hated that. And so she's like, well, you should, you know, if you want mission-based work, you should go into nonprofit. And I was like, oh, I'm not a hippie. And I thought she was going to come over the table at me. <laughs> and uh, she basically told me I was 
an asshole for saying that. And she was right. So she challenged me to, to look into it. And I did. And that was like 14, 15 years ago. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> well thank, thank God for that. By the yeah. way, we should say a little, a few of our classmates that are on the line here, they're actually uh, okay. chatting in uh, comments and questions. So Alex Rogers, Terry Rice, your company mate, Vince Decay, yeah. Nadia King, um, um, oh. Sophie Schwartz, Steph Totten, Laurel Landry, Steve oh, Lutzman, uh, Kenny Mintz, just to name a few that, are, that have been listening in. So welcome, everybody. Welcome yeah. to the Overgrab Podcast, and thanks for joining us tonight. I also saw Shane Zender was on there. I don't know if you know Shane, but he's somebody that uh, he's uh, uh, company B3. So awesome. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening in. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Beach, what, what about the family situation? Tell oh me yeah, sorry, got, got sidetracked. Yeah, so I've been married. Well, we've been together, my wife and I have been together now for 18 years and she's a class of 94. Her name is Jensi Pace. I took her last name. If some of you were like, Beach what? You know, Beach Pace, cause my, my maiden name is Saxe and it's German and nobody pronounced it right. There's one person in the world who pronounced it right. When I was in Germany in uniform, it was a German national he came up to me when I was in getting lunch and he goes, ah, Lieutenant Zaxe. And I was like, thank you. Um, so I changed my name to Pace, but been, been with Jinsey now for 18 years. We have two kids. We have a 16-year-old daughter, Aiden, and uh, almost 14-year-old son, Connor. Uh, and, and it was kind of a great deal, right? There's, there's a lot of upside to being a lesbian because, uh, first of all, you double your wardrobe, right? And then... <laughs> And then I had our daughter and Jensi had our son. Um, and so when, I, when I've heard of other grads who have, you know, three and four kids, I'm like, oh my God, you know, cause that was a one and done for me. Holy crap, no way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was hard. Um, yeah. So, um, I, so, so, so you each, but yeah, I actually had them at different years. Like, so they, so you weren't like both pregnant at the same time, right? No, no. Some people suggested that. And it was mostly men, which I thought was hilarious. They're like, you should be pregnant at the same time. And I'm like, you don't understand the dynamics of being pregnant. <laughs> uh, so um, we had, we used the same donor, anonymous donor. And so mm -hmm. I had our daughter and then two years later, uh, she had our son with the same donor. Um, so, and then we connected with other uh, women who use the same donor. And so when we bring all the kids together, it's interesting because you can see how they all look alike. Really? I, this yeah. is fascinating to me. That yeah, is it's really cool. You can see the traits, like my son's ears are huge, right? And, and so the other boys from the other families have those ears. It's hilarious. Um, and, and then just different traits, but then you can also see the mom influence. Right? So, so that's that whole nature me, nurture thing. I'm sorry. This is, this is, I think I just blew your mind. Behind the scenes thing. But like, how do you know that it's the same donor? Do you like, you go there and say, we have like, you know, here, here we have this, you know, six foot four, da, 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 da. here's, here's the, here's the. Yeah. It's kind of like that. So you get a book uh, and then you can go through the book and, and you can look at traits that you want your donor to have. Right. And so we landed on a donor. Uh, and, and I joked because it was, it was expensive to purchase. So just for the record, it's expensive to purchase sperm. And so I, I rec you know, and I didn't figure things out till I was late. I didn't figure everybody else knew that's the joke is the last person who knew beach was gay was beach. So that's a, that's another thing. But I, I, I joked with Jincy. I was like, why don't I just fly back to Jersey and sleep with, you know, somebody that I dated there. And it's a lot cheaper because it's just free. Ticket. 
Yeah. Well, it's the plane ticket, oh, right? Okay. You know, <laughs> but a free dinner maybe. Right. Uh, anyway, but looking like this, I wasn't getting any of that action. So she, she was <laughs> like, no. Uh, and so we used the, <laughs> we used this so, so you go to the book mm-hmm. and, and, and so that, but then they, they, they then tell you like, we're going to let you know these other families that have used the same. Oh, that was separate. So there's a whole other website that allows you to just post. I use this sperm bank and this is my donor number. And then you just put it out there. And so we, I had Aiden and Aiden was a beautiful baby. Holy crap. Like everyone thought Jincy had her. <laughs> it was hilarious because she's blonde, blue eyed, nothing. Yeah. Um, just an absolutely stunning baby. And so we had one of the moms jump onto that website uh, and said, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm freaking out. I, I don't know what the donor looks like. I'm imagining him to be a cyclops. Like, will you share? And, and that's a common thing, by the way, for women who are pregnant, they just have these weird dreams, whether you know that you're the dad or not, you just have these weird dreams that mess with your brain. Anyway, she contacted us and said, you know, hey, can you send a picture of your kid? Like, is it okay? Like, I just, I need peace of mind. And so we sent her a picture of this gorgeous freaking baby. And she was like, I feel so much better. And that was it. And so we connected with her and she had two kids. And then there's a mom out in Boston and she had a son. Uh, and there's other moms who had twins, but they didn't want to connect with us. They, they thought it was too weird. So that's fine. But wait, wait, how, how did they know that? that- Yeah. So they, so partners went to the website. One of the partners was like, Oh, let's connect. And the other partner said no. Uh, So, you know, that's cool. Is there any, is there any like discussion of like, what about the donor? Would we ever want to meet the donor or no? Yeah. So we have this, we got us, um, I forget what they're called, like known anonymous donors. And what that means is, is that at 18, our daughter, any of the kids um, who are from the donor, any of the kids at 18 can contact the sperm bank and the sperm bank can release the last known address of the donor. And so of the group that we're connected with, Aiden is the oldest. She's two years away from finding out if she wants to. So we'll see. It's really not our decision. It's really their decision. So but his donor number was 262. And so we align that with um, the letters of the alphabet. So uh, BFB, so 262. Are you tracking? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we affectionately call him Ben or Benjamin Franklin Boned or Ben Boned. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. That's... If his name is actually Ben, it's going to be awesome. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, a little crass, you. but funny. No, no, but thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, that, and what it's beautiful too, that you have, uh, you know, this shared common bond, you know, you and agency yeah. and, and the kids and, and um, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, um, it, it was pretty great. And when Jensi was pregnant, because I had been pregnant, I was actually, a, and, and she's, she will attest to this. I was actually a really good partner um, because I knew, what she was dealing with. You know, I had done mm-hmm. it two years ago, two years prior to her. Right. And so I was like, oh, I got you sit down or oh, I'll do this or, you know, whatever. And so it actually brought us closer together because I understood, you know, what she was dealing with. So, yeah, 
Wow. And I, and I was older. I'm a little bit older than Jen, so I, I went first. And wh- so where is she from? I mean, she's class of 94. What's yeah, her- she's class of 94. She's from Texas. And uh, I'm from Jersey. So what was that about? We didn't meet at the academy, which was really good for so many reasons. We approached the academy very differently. Um, but now, you know, out and doing our thing, it's really interesting to see how our experience just weaves through our lives um, in so many different ways. And then her class, the, all the women in the class of 94 are really tight. And so it's really cool to see that, to see her interact with them, except for, uh, well, no, they did get together in 2020. So they get together every year, um, a group of them. And it's, it's just really cool to see that camaraderie that they have. Um, so it's, it's nice to be married to, a, to an academy grad. It, it helps me out because dating was brutal. It was just fuck, like, it was like, well, why did you do that? Or what was that? Or how was that funny? It's like, fucking forget it. I'd rather just date somebody who knows what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I, um, I know several members of the class of 94 and I have to say they're probably the second best uh, bunch out of the academy besides us. Of course. But, yeah. Uh, they, they are really <laughs> squared away in terms of their organization as a class. They are. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's, that's attributed to one of their classmates, Brandy. Yeah. Brandy. Brandy. Yeah, Brandy's. Awesome. So awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I think I answered the, what am I doing now thing? So city council, big brothers, big sisters married or together for 18 years, two kids. Um, yeah. I serve on a LGBTQ board out here. We're trying to set up a, a, a center for the LGBTQ community and allies out here on the West side of, of Portland. So, yeah. We got to talk more about the, about the council thing though, because we haven't talked about that very much. Yeah, would love to. How'd you get, did somebody approach you? Did you say, no, this is, I got to run? Like, did you, did, did you have an issue that you wanted to get uh, accomplished? Like, what was the, what was the driving force that made you want to do this? Uh, the, the decision to go to council was harder than my decision to go to West Point. I was ready to go uh, there, but um, council was different. And I, we were living in San Jose at the time and people were approaching me saying that I should run. And, and by the way, in general, studies have shown this over and over that guys will say like, I'm pissed about this and I'm running. But women have to be asked over and over and over again, right? And so in San Jose, I was asked to run. And so I was thinking about it. I was flattered to be asked and I was watching women run and I was watching them. I was going to events and everything and I was watching them take so much heat for what they were wearing or how their hair was. And I was like, oh, I've already been through that. No, thank you. And I had little kids at the time and I, was, I just didn't see it working. I was working very long hours at uh, the social change organization I was with and it just didn't fit. So I came up here to Hillsboro. We moved up here in 2012. And within a year, people were asking me to run. I was volunteering everywhere. I took a year off of work. My wife was working. I was taking care of the kids. Something and I what never. Is, what does she do? She's Just, a cop. Yeah, she's a lieutenant in the Hillsborough Police Department, and um, you know, loves her job. She was an MP in the Army, and then you know, transition <laughs> right there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There was a little blip in between there, but um, yeah, she's been in law enforcement now for twenty-two or twenty-three years. Okay. Um, and she loves it. She's good at it too. Uh, really proud of her. But um, yeah, so, so people were asking me here and then I started 
considering it more. And then I was, there, there were a bunch of things that happened, but one of them, I was sitting in my car listening to a woman who was running an eMERGE program. And eMERGE is a, a program for women who run or run for, who want to run for office. And there's eMERGE Oregon, eMERGE California, eMERGE New Jersey, like, you know, there's one for each state. And she was saying the stats about women being asked. And, she, and so I'm sitting in my car in traffic, facing the sun at 6 p.m., like hot as hell. And she's like, so if you're a woman and if you've been asked, you should be running. And I was like, shit, right? And I'm just alone in my car feeling guilt. <laughs> um, so that was one. And then uh, I was talking to, to a couple city councilors. And then the, the final thing was my wife was asked to, do, uh, to be on the security detail for Governor Brown. And uh, Governor Brown came to the, to the area she was on the security detail. So my, my wife was gone from like 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. She comes in and says, um, she walks, puts her gear down, comes right up to me and says, you need to run. And I was like, why? And she said, I watched what Governor Brown does. You do that all the time. You listen, you learn, you act. You do it all the time in, in the social change thing. You do it all the time in your volunteering. You need to run, I'm ready, run for city council. And so we talked to the kids because um, it's a family decision, really. It affects everybody. And then this is, by the way, this is no little city council. You're talking about like how many people in that? That's like 100,000. Uh, 120,000 people, uh, six person council plus a mayor. So seven total. Um, and, you know, right outside of, you know, outside of Portland. And, um, you know, we have things come from Portland into us. A lot of times. And so, yeah, it's, it's a decision that shouldn't be taken lightly. And whenever anybody says they want to run, my first question is, have you talked to your family? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but I'm, I'm not a single issue candidate. It was, it was more about, I want to take my executive experience and bring it, you know, to government, to policy, because in the social change sector, I see the result of failed policy all the time. Um, so I thought I'd get at it from the other end. Have you learned, I'm sure you've learned a lot, but have there been any unique discoveries being now on the other side of those issues that has changed your viewpoint on things or how, how we might address some of these complex and wicked problems? Mm. Yes, uh, there are a lot more sides to an issue than I realized. I, I knew there were many sides to an issue, um, but there's, there's more to it often and not political. Um, it's it's just logistical in many cases. And so just working through that um, and some of it is political uh, and some of it is just absolutely um, different communities are impacted different ways. Uh, so for example, you know, we have a homeless um, concern in our town and we have more and more people who are homeless. Everyone is seeing that across the country. We'll be seeing, but I am sure by the end of this, we'll the numbers I've seen are a 40% increase in homelessness across the nation. And, you know, we are responding to it. And then that has an impact on, you know, wherever we put uh, a homeless shelter, the businesses around it don't like it. Right. And so you have businesses who are struggling right now. You have people who are sleeping on the street um, and both deserve good service. Right. And some people see a decision to put a shelter somewhere 
as uh, mutually exclusive. Like you hate our businesses because you put this shelter right, by, right near us. And then other people say, the businesses can handle it. Let's take care of humans in our world. So, and, and both of them are right. You know, both, you know, well, the businesses are right. Let's definitely and- talk offline because we can talk about the shelter idea too, because shelters uh, are really just like, they, they become like uh, building extra capacity in a system and it just fills up and it just mm-hmm. rather than getting people through homelessness it tends to have them get stuck there stagnant yeah right yeah. but and but then what do you do now mm-hmm. right so if we develop a plan say okay well and we'll do this and this and this and in four years we'll have something well how does that help the person now right so exactly. there's a you lot know, to it so, yeah there's a lot that we're not going to tackle tonight <laughs> no, so. no, no no we're not going to talk but we should definitely talk talk further about this because uh policy issues around people experiencing homelessness is definitely something that's very challenging and I'm sure you know that Community Solutions which is run uh, you know I'm, I'm involved in the organization it's run by our classmate's sister uh, Roseanne right. Haggerty right, um, world-renowned social change maker um, so there's a lot happening in that space and I hope yeah. that uh, we can try to help make a difference but um, yeah. So now is the town council, is it, what's the, what's the political um, uh, makeup? Do you have anybody that's like different from, is it all Democrat, all Republican? Is it like mix and mix to match? How's it? Uh, technically we're nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. So when we run for city council, we're nonpartisan. Uh, and yes. then if you go beyond that, uh, then, then you're talking a, a different animal. Like if you run for state legislatures, state ledge, uh, mm-hmm. either Senate or rep, you know, that changes. And of course, then US, the mm-hmm. Senate or rep, you know, that that changes. But I, I would say um, it used to be, you know, people talk about colors like red and blue. And I would say we're pretty purple right now, um, maybe a little bit more blue. Um, but, you know, when you look at the history of the council, it was very, very Republican leaning. Uh, and it's just coming back, or not coming back really, but just, you know, coming more toward the middle, I'd say. And so the debates and conversations we have are very rich. I, I really enjoy the people that I serve with on council. Um, they bring different voices and different um, perspectives. And I, I really appreciate the conversations we have. And I mean that truly. Um, I love hearing from, from everyone, so. That's, that's fantastic. And I'm so, so proud, so proud to know you uh, for all that you do. Um, let's, you, man. let's go let's go back pre pre-1987 like what was what was your life like growing up what made you want to go to West Point and like what what you were a Jersey Jersey girl living in, in Brick Township New Jersey so so tell me that tell me tell me about that time yeah so I was uh, at uh, Brick Memorial High School go Mustangs and I was in junior ROTC and Air Force junior ROTC and I loved it. And um, I was playing soccer and I was, all, I was on the, the school team but I was also on a traveling team, right? So you had to try out. And then I was on the New Jersey state team as well for a few years, you had to try out for that each year. And I was at a, um, a tournament with my traveling team and uh, the coach was there, Gene Ventriglia, Gene Ventriglia, uh, women's soccer coach. And he approached me and said, uh, you know, have you ever thought of going to West Point? And I was like, well, yeah, because I knew about it at the time, but I was like, I, I can't get in there. And he's like, mm, 
so we talked about it and I ended up talking with some of his staff and all that and looked into applying and I realized I could, I, I could. Um, and then I remember going to my guidance counselor, Mr. Metzger, and I said, hey, I want to go to West Point. And I, you know, back then there was no internet, right? So you have to write the academy and then they send you this big packet back and I read all of it. And I was just like, this is the best, right? This is where I want to go. And a couple of junior ROTC guys had gone to the Air Force Academy and, and you know, different institutions. So I was like, okay. And I, I went to Mr. Metzger and he was going to, you know, counsel me on what I wanted to do after, after high school. And so he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go to West Point. He goes, girls don't go there. And I said, oh, uh, okay, women do. Uh, and just sign the form here. I was like, here, sign the form and uh, just say you counseled me because I'm applying. And so I worked with my ROTC instructor, Sergeant James Tierney, and then my uh, history guy, history instructor, Nelson Majuri, a former Marine, and filled out the paperwork and applied. No, and then No one from your family had gone to West Point. You don't have a military family background. It was you and your mom, and you have an older sibling that was out of the house, right? So what was- Yeah. Yeah, my brother was in San Francisco having fun. I, had a, I have a younger sister. She's four years younger than me. My dad was in the Navy for two years for the GI Bill, uh, but neither of my parents had graduated from college. And, you know, they were making their way. And my dad was super proud I was applying. And my mom was proud, but extremely concerned. And, and they uh, were, they're divorced? They yeah. were divorced at the time. Yeah, they were divorced, period. They didn't get, I made it sound like they got back together. That did not happen. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that. like, oh, they got back after, you know. No, so my mom was really concerned. There was a movie out uh, called Taps with Tim Hutton and uh, Tom Cruise, Sean Penn, before they were all famous, yeah. where they, you know, they took over the Academy. And my, my mom was sure that that would happen. So... I applied and got in and um, was just thrilled to be, to be accepted. I freaked out when I found out and I, I was told rather late. So I'm pretty sure there are other people who declined and I got their slot. So wait, did you apply uh, to early action? No, 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 no. Okay. Just um, the decision, but. Yeah. And I, I found out in April of my senior year, I had other offers. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, dead in the water, so to speak, but that, you know, West Point was where I wanted to go. But you were also, were you also looking to play soccer in other, in other programs? Or you being yeah, there? yeah. And, and so I, I got a regular appointment to West Point through my representative. I didn't get a core squad appointment. Um, I, I made a point of that, but I had a, a free rides to Yale and William and Mary and you what for soccer. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yale and William and Mary. Wow. And UVA. And my mom wanted me to go to UVA because she had attended UVA for a few years. Oh, um, cow, Peach. This is some serious, <laughs> some serious opportunities you turned down. Well, I accepted the best opportunity. For well, me. I'm glad to hear you say that, but yeah, it's still pretty impressive. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, I had visited West Point and I went down to UVA and William and Mary and, um, you know, I, I really liked the campus, but West Point was just everything I wanted. I mean, there's a, there's a picture of me when I was five and I'm holding my, my brother's fake machine gun and wearing his fake rain boots. And I was wow. just ready to fight whoever, you know? And, and, I, and well, I mean, not Yale, I don't think, but the other schools have a tremendous ROTC programs too, like UVA and William and Mary as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I was like, okay. Not, not for me. 
yeah, I mean, I certainly would have gone and those were wonderful opportunities. Uh, I, I just, you know, when I got the acceptance to West Point, I, <laughs> I you accepted turned them down. Like, yeah, well, I accepted West Point first and then, you know, wow. you know the deal. Wow. So, That's, uh... yeah, I was, and my mom was just beside herself. She was, yeah. But your dad was your dad was supportive. He was thrilled, and 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 don't get me wrong, my mom was supportive too. Uh, she was just worried, like a good mom, right? Moms worry. Right. That's what they do. So you, know? <laughs> you so because you're in New Jersey, you could drive up like pretty frequently. Whatever. Did they did they come and drop you off at our day? Yeah, my mom and my sister did, and okay. I remember how hot that day was. And um, well, it's summer. It's summer yeah. in New York. It's gonna yeah. suck, right? Uh, and I remember saying goodbye to them like we all did. You know, it's that you have you have one minute to say goodbye, whatever. Right. You know, um, and they were just great about it. And I, I, I know my mom didn't want to do it. So kudos to her for for saying, like, I am very vehemently against this, but I'm going to support you. I mean, as parents, it's a tough thing to do. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But she was supportive. Everybody was supportive while I was there. It was funny because you go home for Christmas and people were like, oh, did you meet anybody? And I'm like, I'm not there to fucking meet anybody. You know, <laughs> you know, like, uh, do you have a boyfriend yet? And I'm like, I am trying to eat. Like, I'm trying to. Right. It was funny. I'm, it was just, I'm a was, company E1. Don't you realize? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to fucking, yeah. you know, leaders of character, man. I'm not trying to get laid. So it was, yeah. it was funny to just the different questions that people got. And and then, as you know, you go home and, and you hear from people and they're like, oh, I got so lit or, oh, my frat is this or, you know, it's a different experience. So and you're not too far away either. So like all those people that are like at Rutgers or wherever else, like they're not they're, they're kind of within a stone's throw, so to speak, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was weird. It was surreal because you can't just drive off post and go see them. Right. Um, but at the holidays and over the summer and stuff like that, you could. So, yeah. Um, so what else do you remember about that first day, that, that our day or, or beast or that whole? I remember meeting Karen Rowe and uh, introducing myself to her and uh, remember meeting my, uh, my roommates uh, were Laura Fetko and Laura, oh, I forget her last name. Um, and then there was uh, Jen Ames and Jenny Bodian. And uh, so there were five of us, uh, five women in that, in that class. And we finished with two, it was just me and Jenny. But the question was our day. So I remember, I definitely remember meeting Karen uh, and some other folks as well. Um, but, you know, yeah. it, occurs, it occurs to me, I, th I think about, you know, I guess when you get to be 52 or 50, however, 52 now. Oh, by the way, today, right now, today is Moose George's birthday. He's 51. Happy He's birthday, Moose. <laughs> He's a full year younger than all of us. <laughs> Wow. Because he's, he's, he skipped a year in high school. But it occurs to me, I think about this, is that, you get retrospective, like, like there's a, about, I don't know, eight or nine, eight or nine hundred of us that are, you know, that graduated from our class. Mm -hmm. I think it's like 852 or 872. Oh, okay. And, and like, we were all there that day. Yeah. Like, like everyone was there. Yeah. And there's a couple other points, like, you know, we were all there for graduation, like, out and then we have like this this concept I think of like these these parallel journeys, you know like we like we kind of took off into the world like we're all there at the same time we took off into the world and and our paths have kind of like you know come back and forth and we you know we've military schools together and 
forward operating bases and maybe boardrooms and like mm -hmm. it's really just what an amazing network and what a blessing it is for us to have like all of these people that we share this kind of common lineage with to begin with and then some of these same values of service and and you know on our country yeah. and we can cheer each other in uh, cheer each other on and also you know there's not that typical facade you know we can begin to be vulnerable with each other as well you know yeah yeah and i've heard that in the in the in the podcast that you've done and i appreciate the vulnerability there because you know i think vince or, or some other folks just talked about you know you're just trying to survive there and and especially for the women uh, and my wife and i have talked about this and talked about this with other women too it's that if if there was a woman who had an issue whatever it was um, you kind of distance yourself from her because you didn't want to be associated with weakness, right? And and women had such a spotlight on them there that, you know, guys could, I mean, I saw guys just totally fucking off, like not even tr fucking trying. Um, and it was like, ah, you know, it's another guy, <laughs> you know, whatever. But I, I remember women separating themselves uh, and, and I did that, I'm guilty of that. And I went back to West Point for the 40th, anniversary of women being accepted to West Point and they addressed that at the cadet chapel. And I remember just sitting there in tears thinking about, man, I didn't do right. I didn't do right uh, by some of my classmates. Um, you know, when somebody falls, you pick them up. It is a, is a very fascinating dynamic. And we talked a little bit about this earlier on the pre-call, but mm -hmm. I think that in many ways, the years that we were at the academy were some of the toughest for our, our female classmates because we weren't quite at that 20% level where there's like an identity and group dynamics, right? So it was right. like you were like an honorary guy if you were if you were there at that time. And and there was that <laughs> conversation that we talked about that Jen Bodian talked about in her book, right? Like where she was in the back of a deuce and a half and people were passing around a, a pornographic magazine and she felt relieved that they felt comfortable enough around her to be passing around a porno magazine. It wasn't like, hey, that's like, that's, that's inappropriate behavior. It was like, hey, I'm relieved that they could do that around me, that I'm like the, mm -hmm. like the person here. Yeah, yeah. And, to be able to blend in and it's funny because we were camouflage, right? It's, it was when people didn't notice you were there, it was a win. Um, you know, and they could be themselves, but when they're like, oh, sorry, nope, can't talk about it. You know, it's like, you know, I, I'm not here to change everything. I just want, I just want to learn just like all of you. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was, I, I agree with Jenny in that respect that it was, it was a, it was good to blend. It was good not to be noticed. It was good when no one know, knew what you were up to that day, because most of the time that was not the case. <laughs> Um, we kind of stuck out. So. so you probably, I mean, I think, you know, my, by the way, my sister is, an, is my sister's an attorney. Mm. And uh, anytime someone in the family has a legal problem, they, they call her. She's like the, like, like it, those, of, those of us that are attorneys or doctors, I see like Brad Woods is on the call here. He's mm. also listening. Yeah, I'm seeing some probably, comments. Yeah. Probably anybody that any, any ailment, like, Hey, I got to hang out. I got this, I got that call uncle Brad, like get, get the information from him. Right. So anyway, I'm, I'm quite certain that if you are a woman graduate of West Point and somebody's daughter 
is considering going to West Point, they want them to talk to you, right? You probably Oh, yeah, we've done that. What advice would you give? So what advice do you give to young ladies that are considering going to West Point? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, we have, my wife and I have talked to, uh, to young women who are interested in going. And we always ask, like, you know, the why, because the why is what get you, gets you through the shitty parts. <laughs> when you're like, why the fuck did I do this? Uh, you know, you have to remember that why. But then also, you know, grades, how are you in academics? And are you in good physical shape? And how are you with being pushed? Right? What kind of grit and resilience do you have? We were talking to a, a young woman who um, attends the same uh, uh, Taekwondo place as my son. She's in a very different level and all that. Um, so this is a, a young woman who's gone through a lot and trained herself and, and has um, straight A's. Um, but when we talked about the rigors, not necessarily about being a woman, just the rigors of West Point, she was like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say is what I would say to a man which is, are you ready? You know, what is your why? Are you ready academically? Are you ready physically? Are you ready to become a leader of character for our nation? And do you understand service? Um, those are the big, those are big concepts for a young person. Um, but we do talk about that. And then as a woman, you know, uh, understanding that, you know, it's different, but it, it's different from when we were there. I saw Nadia King uh, made a comment and yeah, it's over 20% now. And I've been back to West Point since Scotty Halstead invited me back for an event. Uh, and I was back also back for the 40th anniversary and it's a different feel. I feel better there now <laughs> than I did when I was a cadet for many reasons, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a different feel. Yeah, you know, um, Holly West remarked about this too. She said like, mm -hmm. you see women hanging out with women. Yep. And, and like there, like that, that, that was something that she felt you didn't have as much of. I mean, you, you had your team, you guys were all on a soccer team. Yeah. We were on the soccer team. That was great. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the, you kind of had to like, I think you had to kind of cloak your femininity at that time, like in terms of being, yeah. together, you know? Right. And, and I didn't have that much of a problem doing that because I didn't have much femininity to begin with. <laughs> um, so I, I blended more than most, I think, which I consider a good thing and a blessing. But yeah, I think for, for others, it was, you know, they had a much harder time. You know, I, I know comments and things that were made and said and actions that were done to some of my other female classmates and to me um, that were just fucking horrible, you know? And after a while, like if you get invited to a party and you're going around talking to people and every fifth person is like, why are you here? How did you get in here? After a while, you're just like, I'm going to leave this party. Mm -hmm. um, and some did. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. let's let's get on to to, to to some other memories from West Point. Um, okay. How so? The women's soccer team. Ugh, I love that group. Uh, you got me through. You were how long were you? Were you all four years on the team? No, I didn't play my uh, first year. Um, there, another, uh, maybe the end of my Cal year, but uh, another goalie came in. Goalies are hard to find. We're a very strange breed. Another goalie came in, Chris Feeler. Uh, She's a great keeper. And she came in behind me and I was like, okay. And my academics were suffering. And I was not about to be picked up for the women's Olympic team, which didn't exist, um, or the women's national team, which didn't exist. And I realized, you know, I, I, 
need to finish this out properly. And I'm here to become an army officer and not a West Point soccer player mm -hmm. for a team that doesn't exist after West Point. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to leave the team and it, it broke my heart. What were some of your best memories from that team? Well, um, uh, because there was no space whatsoever anywhere else for us to play. So the men's soccer team played up on the plane, um, but we couldn't share the field. Um, so we had to walk all the way down to where we took the APFT uh, for every practice. So you walk all the way down and practice and then all the way back up after practice. And I think just walking down with the team, because <laughs> you know, you end up connecting as you're walking down that hill uh, and walking back with them as well. Um, just talking and finding camaraderie with them. And as a plebe, you know, knowing that there's somebody else out there who has my back somewhere or I can ask a question of, which was wonderful. And then as an upperclassman to be able to counsel plebes and just say it's gonna be okay and, and help them out. Um, and, and just, you know, just chatting with them was just wonderful in a relaxed environment. And then just playing the sport that we loved. Um, that was something pretty special. You know, I, I've looked at and studied the different keys to happiness and, you know, it's uh, being present, being, uh, having intergenerational connection. And one of the things is flow. And I think that's, you know, doing something that you just know how to do. You're not even thinking about it. And that's what soccer was. It provided that flow for us, for me to do something. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm fucking up everything else uh, <laughs> over there, up there, but oh, down here, I'm good. I'll yeah. Up the hill, but here I'm good. Um, so yeah, that, um, those are some, and then just, you know, in the, in the company, you know, hanging out with the guys, they were great guys that I, I got to be with and serve with. So, um, yeah, enjoyed that too. I didn't hang out in the day room a whole lot cause I was trying to survive uh, academically, but you know, when I did, it was, it was great. You know, I wonder if those day rooms had the kind of camaraderie that they did back in the day, like, or like the company yeah. areas, because now everybody's like got their phones and they're just Right, of, they don't need it. Yeah. Don't need it. Yeah, yeah, so I think about some of those Sunday night football games, you know, because you, you guaranteed you had somebody, like, if Green Bay is playing the Giants, you're going to have, like... Somebody. Yeah, yeah. somebody's going <laughs> to be, like, ready to go at each other in the, in the day room. That, those are some fun times. Yeah, yeah. I remember the briefing we got, uh, it was a videotape from Command Sergeant Major McKinney to talk about sexual harassment. And uh, right before we had to watch that video uh, on the front page of the New York Times or in the New York Times, he was charged with sexual harassment. And I laughed because of the irony. Uh, and I remember the, the tack, Captain Cardos uh, had to put in the tape um, and we were just all like, I remember all the women. I remember looking at Laura Fetko, like, is this fucking for real right now? Um, and then we watched a briefing from a guy who was charged with sexual harassment, talk to us about sexual harassment in the day room. And, you know, and again, it was a videotape. It wasn't the actual guy, of course. But I was just like, yep. <laughs> and at that point, you just got to laugh, right? It's just like, whatever. So... And then yeah. E1, the, a lot of people love playing pool in E1. So yeah, there was a lot of camaraderie over there. Yeah. yeah. In case you get to <laughs> hang out with the uh, degenerates over in F1, 
you know, oh, you guys were great. You guys are so nice. Um, you know what? There, I have to say this too. There, like a lot of these companies that are in the same battalions, they, they end up have these little spats, you know, mm. we didn't really have that. I mean, we, yeah. even in D one too, we did have very competitive basketball games of in course. the area. Sure. That, those were great. Those were great. We'd like, we'd all be on the stoops and be like back and forth. You had like Rob Burns, like talking smack it, but it was, it was just great. It was a great time. Yeah. Well, I love that little, you know, that little cubby hole that we had with yeah, that. Alcove. Like I said, alcove. It's yeah, gone it was, now. Okay. F1, F1 and E1 are up, up in the, uh, they're up in the Davis in barracks. barracks. Oh, yeah. wow. More Hills. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I really like that setup and, and I didn't feel a whole lot of angst between the companies or, be, you know, between our battalion and, and I appreciated that. And we're all just trying to get through it. We're all trying to survive. And so any extra angst was, yeah. I remember the, the snowball fight that we had uh, when we had yet another fire alarm getting called out in January and it's snowing and we're freezing our ass off. Uh, I remember that. I remember one time, uh, it wasn't snowing out. It was nice. And there was two people in F1 making out and the shade was down. And so you just saw the shadows of them, you know, doing their thing. And I hear people like, woo. Right. And, and, and I'm like, what, what year was like, this? What year was this? Oh, fuck. I don't know. I was not a plebe. And, uh, and okay. I, I remember like people pointing and I look over and it was just this whole silhouette of two people making out against against the window and uh so they heard everybody just started whooping and hollering and then they raised the shade and they realized oh it's us <laughs> i don't know who it was uh but i thought that was funny as hell um huh. felt bad for them you know because now i don't i don't remember that i remember one time we we uh we were all we we're all chanting odin because we wanted to get uh yes. we wanted to get parade canceled and the parade got canceled and the sun came out and everybody just went nuts or all out on like the roof of the, uh, like, you know, over the, over the, over the stoops, there was like that little roof and we'd all jump out on the roof. That was. The, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And Terry Rice said that that was a uh, cow year when, when those people were making out. So oh, okay. Yeah. Again, I don't know who it was, but I just, I felt bad when they opened the shade because then, you know, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was pretty funny. It's like that. Um, like that Austin Powers uh, movie. Have you ever seen Austin Powers in a tent? You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. What if that was just like somebody trying to like create that environment for it? Like, well, they totally could have. Joke, you know. Yeah. No. It was... Tell me about the refrigerator. Who had the refrigerator in E1? Somebody had a refrigerator in. Yes. <laughs> so Todd Rumbles and Brian Deemers had a refrigerator, our first year, and you know with the divisions. You know, you had the closets and there's this top right corner in each side where the that closets were just like wood. It's just wood. It was fake. It was fake. And they somehow got the, the facade off and it fit a mini fridge in there. And it was a coup, right? That they had done this, that they had figured this out. And it was, it was amazing. And, you know, looking back and talking to other friends who went to colleges, of course, they had a whole fucking giant refrigerator in their room anyway. <laughs> but it was a big deal to us and people would keep ice cream in there and food and all sorts of stuff. Right. It was a big deal. And, um, so they ran the electrical cord out of the corner, the top corner of the little thing, you know, down the wall and then plugged it in to the desk light that was underneath the bookshelf. 
Okay. And uh, it was great. It worked months and months, no problem. And then uh, I was a cadet in charge of something, right? And for the company. And then the OIC came by, officer in charge came by to inspect. And so I have to go around with him. And uh, we go, we're, we're, and we were in the last division in the company in the top floor, because I was right across from Todd and Brian, and it was perfect, right? So anyway, um, I'm like, he'll never go there. I wasn't even thinking about the refrigerator, right? And the rooms, you of had, course. You had, ice, you had ice cream or something already in there, Of right? course I had ice cream in there. Yeah, you had a vest. Yeah, I had ice cream. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so, but we're going room by room, and of course the rooms look great, right? It's E1. Of course. Right? So it's yeah. looking good, and the and officer's pretty happy with what he's seeing, and you know, I'm taking notes or whatever the fuck, right? But so we go into Todd and Brian's room. And so we go in and the officer goes to the left. Now the refrigerator's over here. So the officer goes to the left and he's looking at the, the bed or whatever. And it's very quiet in the room. And then you hear, you hear the refrigerator turn on. And the officer whips around looking for it. And I was like, Oh, fuck. right. And, uh, and when I had a nanosecond, right. I, when the refrigerator went off and I'm like, uh, and I, I went over to, uh, Todd's desk where the, the cord went, but you couldn't see it from where the officer was. Right. And I, I just, um, I tapped the light. I didn't say anything. I just tapped the light and I go, huh. And the it's officer didn't ask off me the Threw him off the scent. Yeah. He, he didn't ask me a word. Mm -hmm. um, and he looked something else. And then we went out of the room. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, if he asked me, you know, I. Officer you know, on duty knows that. Do you know where that is? Yeah, what yeah, it, yeah. You know what that sound is? Like all of these questions that he could have asked. And he didn't. And I was just like, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what, so what made you, um, let's transition if we yeah. could maybe to talk about the army and okay. your seven year career in active duty, 10 years. What, what was it? Seven. seven, seven. Yeah. So you chose ordinance. That was your branch. Yeah. Uh, class of 90, Deb Katulik, uh, really lobbied hard for me to go into, into ordinance and, um, general, major general, major, major general. general. Yes. Katulik. Yeah. From at the time cadet <laughs> from New Jersey. Um, yeah, also from New Jersey. Yeah. And um, Deb lobbied me hard. And I looked at the other branches and I really liked ordinance. And then I really liked explosive ordinance disposal. Uh, and so the way that works is you have to go to ordinance OBC and then you have to go through a psych check uh, and then a lot of psych checks. And then you have to go, then if you're chosen, you can go into EOD. You don't get sent to EOD. You, you have to volunteer to do it. Uh, and so then I went to explosive warrants disposal school. And so all of that was with Holly Craig and because uh, she branched ordinance too. So we roomed together in OBC, went to EOD school together. EOD school was all over the place. It was in Florida and Maryland and Alabama. Um, and then, you know, we went off to our units after that. And so. you, you went to Italy? Yeah, I was stationed in Italy. And real quick, I see Alex Rogers. Alex, uh, Todd never got busted for that fridge. So just saying. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. They're talking about how many hours he, uh, how many hours Todd. Yeah, Todd got century because he was caught with a case of beer on on flirty, um, but that was a totally separate thing. It wasn't about the fridge, and that's how he met his wife, Lisa. So, yeah, um, I love that story. But yeah, Todd didn't get hours for that. And to answer your question, Jamie, I ended up in Italy. Um, I was supposed to go somewhere else, but uh, they changed my orders last minute and I got sent to Italy, which is pretty great. So. And then, so did you get to go all around Europe and like just. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, there's the normal, you know, a farmer found a, a mine in his field kind of thing. Right. And so you go take from World War II. Um, you go take care of that. But uh, one of our Did bigger you go messages, there. You, so, well, forgive me for not knowing this, but yeah, no, you have a platoon or do you have like, no, EOD is really different. EOD is very different. It's a, it's a much smaller group. It's, it's like 20, 25 people. It's really small. Mm -hmm. um, it's not your standard platoon. It's not your standard company command. So and I was an ex- You don't have any troops, right? You're dealing with senior NCOs that you have. Like you, you don't have, there's not like a private who's EOD. Right. Not really. They're they're specialists and up, you know, mm -hmm. um, so it was a different kind of unit uh, and different kind of mission completely, which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And so whenever the president or vice president or secretary of state or any other dignitary came over, uh, we would attach to the Secret Service and provide bomb security to those dignitaries. And so Secret Service made sure they didn't get shot and we made sure they didn't blow up. Um, and what, what, what's your mission? I mean, like your mission is not to block uh, an IED. It's that if something shows up, you got to blow it up, right? You got you got to like secure the air. Well, it depends, right? So if you find an IED in the middle of a field, blow it up. Mm -hmm. Who gives a shit, right? But if you find an IED in the middle of a, of a major metropolitan center, you know, you can't just blow it up right there. It's not okay to just blow shit up in the middle mm -hmm. of a major metropolitan center. Um, so that would, that would, those deployments were really interesting they're not the normal deployment right so it's you go and you're gone for you know a month or a few weeks and then you come back right because there's the pre-work and then the work and then the post-work and then you come home right mm -hmm. um so you know i got to go to moscow um rome you know germany england it was it was really really all cool. based out of italy there all all yeah yeah and um it was very interesting work and, and, you know, we would get in regular suits, you know, we had to buy a suit um, and do that. So we, it, it was a very strange mission, but I really enjoyed it. Um, hmm. And it, it blended well with, you know, my interests and what I liked and had great NCOs, great soldiers, um, really enjoyed working with them. So, so then, then you head back, you do your advanced course, same place. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up commanding that unit. Um, and so I had my company command and then came back for advanced and Fort Lee, Virginia. And it was the advanced logisticians course, I believe, because they blended a couple of branches to make mm -hmm. us logisticians. Um, so I did that and that was fine. And because I had company command, I was given the opportunity to either work with a, a guard or reserve unit or ROTC. Um, so I decided to go teach ROTC and sure. I ended up being sent to Northern Michigan University in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Okay. And I was That's like, payback. That's payback because you got to go to Italy. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up loving it, right? Yeah. I loved it up there at 357 inches of snow one year. 
Um, but I love to snowshoe and cross country ski and downhill ski and snowboard. So I was like, okay. Um, and, you know, taught ROTC to, to young cadets and um, really enjoyed my time there too. I picked up a master's degree while I was there uh, on the side as a faculty member, I didn't have to pay for it. So I didn't owe the army anything. Um, I didn't have much of a, you know, a life, right? Cause I was working or in school. Um, but it was totally worth it. So what, what's the command structure like there? So you have like a, you're, you're the, like, were you like, you're an 03 or 04? I was a captain at the time. Yeah. So we had a Lieutenant Colonel and then two captains and a handful of NCOs. Okay. Yeah. This is the guy that you said this, this, this Lieutenant Colonel was not your favorite uh, person to work for, huh? Well, he, you know, I had a couple of interesting people that I worked for. Um, there was a guy in Europe who was, uh, uh, that was an interesting deal. I was really glad I had my commander buffering between me and him. I was really glad I went to West Point because this guy was all into hazing and it, it didn't phase me because of what I'd been through. That was Colonel Gene King. I have no problem saying his name. Um, and I remember being at a dining in or dining out. Uh, and so he was sitting across from me and his wife was here to his right. And he, uh, I remember he went to grab the salt, you know, just for his food and his wife flinched mm. and I knew exactly, I knew, I knew, I knew uh, where I stood with him. Mm. So, yeah, but my ROTC commander, he just, he was a VMI grad. He was a good guy. He just didn't think women belonged in the army. And he was, he let me know that. That makes him not a good guy then. Yeah. So you know, he was, he knew what he liked and he didn't like women in the military. So. Well, let's, let's, let's <laughs> so. put it in. I want to come back to that because Nadia okay. King asked a question that I want, like, she was wondering, she said that when you were in Italy, you hooked up with a commercial wine distributor and you considered going into that as a career. Yeah. I, so, so growing up in Jersey, you know, you make connections and uh, I had a friend of a friend of my mom's who owned a restaurant in New York and so he was looking for some new wine. And when I was in Italy, I would do wine harvest. So I would, you know, when I could, of course, when it was okay with command and all that shit, you know, I took days off and I did wine harvest. And so we actually imported wine from that winery that I worked at, um, volunteered at really, they fed me. And then uh, to, to that restaurant. And it, I really enjoyed that work. It was very, it was, it didn't pan out to be a business, but I, I thought it was fun. <laughs> That's that cool. I was able to connect. Uh, yeah. And so, and also be able to just keep speaking Italian because I picked up Italian when I was over there. And, um, you know, just to keep that up, uh, I really appreciated that. And then, you know, when I visited the guy in New York, I got a great dinner. So. <laughs> you know, going back to the ROTC thing, I was thinking about something recently because, uh, you know, ROTC, it's, I think it, it comes in all shapes and sizes and flavors like like university to, to university there's i think there's, a different. Bit of, there's there's yeah there, there's differences like i mentioned like i knew that like william and mary for instance and uva they have like tremendous programs you know mm -hmm. so after, if you imagine being the young captain or the you know the the uh the 0405 rotc person at the university of south carolina right now because the president of the university is general Caslin. And the chief of staff is our classmate, Mark Beeger, right? <laughs> so you've got like war heroes 
mm. like running the university and you're trying to run this ROTC program. Yeah, it's like yeah. that has got to be like like living in like like a like that's got to be like a, a high tension uh, environment. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure the ROTC program is going to get really amped up there. That's yeah, just, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was already, it was a very, already strong to begin with, but. Right. Was, well, and then, but think of the support you get too, right. You know, mm -hmm. so. Um, yeah. General Kaslin just wrote a book and I've been listening to it on my audible and it's very, very good. It's about, it's called the character edge and it highlights actually uh, at least one of our classmates, uh, General uh, Dave Hodney and mm -hmm. his, uh, his role. And, and um, there's some other people there that are, that are recognized in the book. But anyways, worth worthwhile read. Yeah, I'll check it out. I was impressed with General Cousin when I went and visited yeah, West Point yeah, the, the couple times I was back there. Yeah, while he was there. So then, so so after ROTC, that was when you decided to transition out, right? That was when it was like, okay, it's time for me to time for me to hit hit the road and yeah, yeah. I had um, I was getting, you know, uh, Captain Katulik, I think Major at the time was like, all right, you're going to CGSC, like get ready, uh, and then, you know, my in the other front, you know, I have this Lieutenant Colonel who's like, nah, I could take you or leave you as a female. And then I was getting calls from home that my mom wasn't doing so well financially. Um, and so I'm in a place where I'm not, you know, people are like, why are you here again? Right. Mm -hmm. And I have a mom who needs me and I have people, I have recruiters calling me on the phone, offering me jobs. And so I left and I, I hated to do it. Um, but I, I went home. And uh, took a job with a pharmaceutical company called Warner Chilcott, and um, you know the transition, as as you've mentioned in other podcasts, is an experience. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad I went through it. I learned a lot from it, and I quickly progressed in my my career in the pharmaceutical company because um, it was you know they give you what you need, <laughs> and then just follow the order and go do the thing. And so you do it, and with with that mindset of discipline um, and commitment to action. And so, you, you know, I went and did it. And so I was hitting all my marks and hitting um, all the bonus things. So I was getting all the bonus, which I actually really needed to help my mom because uh, she was going to lose her house. So uh, I was working my ass off, highly motivated for many reasons, um, and then was able to take care of that. So my mom got taken care of. And then I was offered a promotion, which I turned down to stay to make sure it was good. And then I was offered a promotion again uh, a few months later and I took it and I went out to California um, and was leading a, a, a region of sales reps in the Pacific Northwest in Northern California. And, and you should know, like when I was, when I saw Becky, I kept seeing Becky Canis uh, on and off throughout the years. And I saw her at West Point. And every time I saw her, Becky would come up to me and she's like, you know, you're gay. Right. And I was like, no. And she's like, well, call me when you figure it out. And so, um, you know, every time I saw her, if I talked to her on the phone, she's like, beach, did you figure it out yet? No. Okay. Call me when you figure it out. So I get out to California and I figured it out. And so I called Becky, uh, at, um, midnight, uh, East coast or West coast time. And she picked up the phone at 3 AM cause she was in New York. And, um, we talked for like an hour. And she's like, hey, welcome. Welcome to the family. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that night. Um, but, you know, to, to get back to your question, Jamie, I was, I was leading a, 
uh, region out there uh, and really enjoyed it. So I was covering uh, Washington State, Idaho, Northern California, and Hawaii. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. And Becky also introduced you to your wife, right? She that did. Was- yeah, she did introduce me to Jinsey. Uh, and yeah, when I was on the phone with her at three o'clock in the morning, her time, um, Becky was like, all right, I'm going to introduce you to some grads out there, you know, just watch your email. And I was like, all right. So on my wife's side, my wife knew Becky and always had a crush on her. And so Becky wrote her and said, hey, Jency, can you connect? You know, do you have a minute to connect? And so Jency was like, oh, cool. You know, Becky's calling me, right? Um, and it turned out Becky would just wanted to introduce her to me. And so it was a real letdown. And so she did, a, Becky did an e-introduction over email and uh, said, hey, Jency, this is the grad I was talking about. Beach, this is the grad I was talking about. You guys go and connect and just be friends, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wrote, I was like, thank you, Becky. And I wrote Jency and I was like, hey, it's great to e-meet you and would love to connect and meet for dinner and um, love to hear about your experience at West Point and afterwards and, and all that, right? And Jency basically wrote back and was like, no, mm-hmm. no, I'm not meeting you. And you're a straight girl who probably had a bad breakup and uh, no. And it was, it was pretty scathing actually. Uh, and we hadn't met yet. So I wrote her back and I was like, you know, of course, not knowing me, you know, you made up a lot of assumptions. And of course we have a lot to connect over because we're women who went to West Point. So mm-hmm. dinner sounds great. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, no. <laughs> so long story short, we ended up having to dinner. Right. So. And now here you are 18 years later or so, I think. 18, right? 19 years later. Yeah. Kids. Uh, with so kids. Yeah, and I didn't want to have kids. I was really nervous about having kids. And um, thankfully, Jency and I talked about it for over a year. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so wow. it was really yeah, it was a long, that was a long one. <laughs> That's a, a very long discussion. All couples have them, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. absolutely. Um, I, I, uh, I certainly can imagine that. And then, and then also deciding who goes first, right? That must have been like. That was a little easier because, you know, we have, women have um, clocks and, mm-hmm. you know, we, our bodies, you know, don't work the same later on. Mm-hmm. So because I was three years older, I decided to go first and mm-hmm. frankly, get it over with. It's like, who wants to go on the IOCT first? I will just <laughs> fucking let's do it. I'm going to puke. Let's puke now. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I went first. So it wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but <laughs> um, well, Beach, we've been talking for for quite some time. Uh, yeah, we have. This has been fantastic connecting <laughs> with you and hearing these stories. I I'm so grateful for your your leadership and your example. You know, working in working in the social change space and <laughs> and serving serving in in, in government. Um, and and Jinsey too. I mean, serving in in law enforcement. Long and, time. And especially now, it's, yeah. yeah, it's challenging now, especially. I imagine you have a lot of great conversations too about the criminal justice system and and and, yeah, and law enforcement with, yeah, law yeah. enforcement, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. We had a, a an exchange student stay with us over the summer. He was stranded, He's from South Africa, and his name is Robin, and he he 
literally had nowhere to go. Like the campus closed down. He tried to get home to South Africa. And long story short, he ended up staying with us for a good majority, a good portion of the summer. And so when you have somebody who has parents and grandparents who were persecuted under apartheid sitting at your dinner table with a police officer after George Floyd, um, I, those conversations were so rich and um, my kids were there for those too. And it was just uh, really good. Um, yes, the conversations are good. And especially when we have, you know, other people as part of them, which is important, right? Inviting other people to the conversation. Mm. Anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious if you have any, any final thoughts or, or a message that you'd like to leave with our classmates, things that, that just mm. observations or whatever your perspectives are. Oh, thanks. Well, I, I first want to say thanks to you, Jamie, for bringing our class together this way. Uh, and hearing everybody else's experiences has helped, helped me out. And I would say I, I didn't feel super connected um, to West Point, especially right after graduation. And I've gone to most of the, the reunions. So I would say if you're listening to this and you're not super connected, reach out. And if you are really connected, reach out to people you haven't heard from. And I'm guilty on both sides, right? Of I could reach out more. Um, but I, you know, Vince mentioned this too in, in his podcast is reach out and we have the time now, right? We have the ability. We're not running around with, with you know, infants. You know, we, we are in a different stage in our lives and, and we frankly need the support. I, I, think it, I think it would be really smart for, for each of us to reach out to uh, each other in some way, company mates, soccer, you know, teammates, whatever it might be, um, to reach out and, and be there for each other. And I'm looking forward to seeing everybody at the 30th. Hopefully this will go. We'll get COVID taken care of and we can all get together. I think we will. And I think that's a great message, uh, Beach. And I, I, I'm just so grateful for this connection that I have with the 800 and some odd other people that we share this parallel journey together. And I'm really looking forward to this thing that kind of has come up in the last week or two of uh, trying to do this Appalachian Trail uh, hookup this yeah. summer. I'm, you know, Scott's going to do this whole, the whole damn thing I from know. Georgia all the way to Maine. I so love it. Plenty of opportunities. And the other thing too, Kenny Mintz is going to be doing another one uh, in 2022. He's going to be walking uh, east to west. And oh, so that's nice. going to be another opportunity to connect people. So I think uh, that should be another opportunity for us to get together, you know, outside of the academy normal thing. Like this is, you know, and I think as the years go on here, we should probably learn some of the best practices of other classmates. Like you say, class of 94 and yeah. class of 64 does this too. They get together like on the off years, like every two years they do something. Yeah, it makes a difference. I got together with uh, um, Andy Duzinski and Jay Supine, uh fall of 2019 and it was great just to connect we we met up in vegas and um you know saw some shows and stuff but just to say hey yeah um, because this this as you mentioned earlier it's such a unifying experience and such a unique experience i mean and we've seen recently like you can't even get you can threaten somebody with death and they still won't wear, wear a goddamn mask right but this day, that day, that our day, and those four years together, that is a unique experience to get everybody to do the same thing at the same time. And we did it. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's something that should be celebrated and heralded, frankly, <laughs> you know, and yeah, so connect, connect. It's good for your mental health. It'll keep you safe and make you laugh. <laughs> well, that's a great note to end on, Beach. Um, stick around after the credits roll out. I just want it. to say thank you again for leading by example and duty shall thank be done. Thank you for joining us on this thank edition you. of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Okay. You are magnificent. You're magnificent. You're magnificent. You're magnificent. You're fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. You, you, you lived up to the hype. So <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> thank you, Jamie. And, and again, thanks for connecting us this way. I mean, you must just, you must be enjoying it. And I know I've heard I you do. say like, you're thinking about stopping. I hope you don't. No. Yeah. Yeah. I do love it. It's a labor of love. I mean, the, the thing is that, um, AOG has asked me to do this. I heard when yeah, on the for, thing with Vince. All of all of West Point. And so yeah. the question is, can I run both of them at the same time? I don't want to give this one up because this one's so special. Mm. Or do I just help them get that thing off the ground and get them kind of going and let somebody else run it? Because mm-hmm. anybody yeah. can run that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also anybody can run this too. Like maybe somebody else is gonna want to, you know. I've had a couple of people who said, I want to be like on a podcast with so and so, or like, you know, to do the Sidekick. Oh yeah, yeah. So that would we'll be see. fun. Um, I am, I am, uh, I am happy to have kind of created this opportunity to connect like this. It's been, mm. it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying it too. So I yeah. appreciate all the work you've done into it. And I'm sorry I'm late to the party. No, no. I mean, hit the <laughs> this is uh, it's great. I think it's you know building every every month. I get more subscribers. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, well done, sir. Now, thank you. Thanks so much. And I, I will very much look forward to hopefully meeting your, your wife at some point uh, oh, at yeah. the, uh, if she comes out for the 30 year. Yeah, I'm not sure. 